Hello and welcome to the Art of World Building podcast, episode 4, part 2. Today we continue our discussion of creating gods. We talk about whether they are good, evil, or neutral, and what this really means. We also discuss titles, symbols, patronage, reputation, and what items a god might have created and which could fall into the wrong hands. This material and more is discussed in Chapter 2 of Creating Life, Volume 1 in the Art of World Building book series. Do you want practical advice on how to build better worlds faster and have more fun doing it? The Art of World Building book series, website, blog, and podcast will make your worlds beat the competition. This is your host, Randy Ellison, and I have 30 years of world building advice, tips, and tricks to share. Follow along now at artofworldbuilding.com. Let's continue our discussion of how to create gods. If you've ever played role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, you're probably very familiar with the concept of alignment, such as good, evil, or neutral. While that's an oversimplified way of looking at people, this is one way to organize our deities. Unless we're trying to create an imbalanced pantheon where we have a bunch of evil gods and almost no good gods, we might want to strive for more balance. While good and evil are fairly easy to understand, the concept of neutral might need a little more examination. Does this simply mean that a god is neither good or evil, or does it mean that this god has chosen a pacifist position? Does it mean that they never interfere in the lives of those who live on the planet? A god who never does anything is arguably not particularly interesting. This might be the primary reason that some on earth have lost interest in god, Wouldn't it be more interesting if he was still putting in an obvious appearance that none of us could deny? Certainly more people would believe in God if we had proof that he exists. Obviously some people will assume that various things are indeed proof of God, but some of us don't accept that, so this leaves a lot of room for interpretation, and of course this causes various problems. Using this as an example, it's apparent that a pacifist God might have trouble attracting more followers. Some people might even lose their faith because there is not an answer to their prayers. If we decide that a god is neutral and a pacifist, we might also decide that they have fewer followers and fewer priests. Something we should also consider is that gods who are evil might not enjoy being called that. They may have a worldview that essentially rationalizes their outlook. For example, a god of domination might genuinely believe that people need to be ruled. However, Their followers might justify abuses of tyranny based on this. As a result, others might consider the god evil, while the god himself might chafe at this characterization. In fact, it might not be wise to tell a god to their face, if you happen to meet one of them, that they are evil. Personally, I avoid the words good and evil in my stories because I feel like it is an oversimplification of the way people and gods are. You will have to consider the mindset of your intended audience. There is an idea that younger people enjoy the simplification of good versus evil, but that more sophisticated people may roll their eyes at that characterization. No one can tell you which approach is right. Personally, I try to avoid this by using words such as benevolent, kinder, or helpful instead of good, and for evil I tend to use words like nefarious, sinister, or feared. These get the point across without talking down to the audience. Let's take a quick break here and talk about where you can get more useful world-building resources. Heartofworldbuilding.com has most of what you need. This includes links to more podcasts like this one. 
You can also find more information on all three volumes of the Art of Worldbuilding series. Much of the content of those books is available on the website for free. And the thing that you might find the most useful is that by signing up for the newsletter, you can download the free templates that are included with each volume of the Art of Worldbuilding series, whether you have bought the books or not. All you need to do is join the newsletter. You can do this by going to artofworldbuilding.com newsletter. Sign up today and you will get your free templates and you will never miss an update about what is happening in the great world of worldbuilding. While just about every god will have a name, there are other ways of identifying them. This includes their title, their patronage, and their symbol. Example titles would be God of Despair, the Weeping God, or maybe even the Lord of Despair. These are basically nicknames or informal titles that one might use to give an impression of what the god really cares about. It can be tempting to give a single god multiple nicknames, but when we are writing about them in a story, we might want to use only a single one per story. I have found using multiple names to be problematic because people get a little bit confused. In general, it's a good idea to keep things simple. If you invent multiple nicknames, I suggest using the one that most appropriately applies to the situation you are describing in that story. Gods are often the patron of some activity that people undertake. This can be a profession such as hunters or blacksmiths, or it can be something a little bit more general like children or even lovers. The way to choose who that god patronizes is to first look at their attributes. A god of war will choose to support warriors or maybe even knights. This is how you can use the characteristics of that god to further develop the idea of who they are and who worships them. A god of war might also patronize all warriors, or they might be a little bit more specific and only focus on the knights, for example. Inventing symbols for our gods is often very useful. These can be put onto armor, buildings, ships, space stations, uniforms, or even worn as talismans, or in rare cases even branded into someone's flesh. As our characters travel, they will encounter these symbols, and this is an easy way to characterize a location or a person. Someone wearing the symbol of a god of war will make it clear that they are not exactly very peaceful. However, that god could also be the god of courage. This is one way that a symbol may be misleading. One person might decide that this person is warlike and not peaceful, while another person might see this symbol and decide the individual is very courageous, or at least interested in bravery. This is one way that we can use something as simple as a symbol as a way to create misunderstanding among characters. There is an unfortunate tendency for people to jump to conclusions instead of asking what something really means. This is why it's also important for each god to have a reputation. We'll talk more about that after this short break. For those of you who support crowdfunding, I am on the Patreon site and would appreciate any support you can lend. Think about whether you're benefiting from this podcast or the Art of Will Building blog and website, and consider supporting the effort to spread the word far and wide. Your support could help a budding world builder create an awesome world that you become a huge fan of. This podcast and related items are my way of giving back to the fantasy, sci-fi, movie, and gaming industries that I love so much. You can give back too by helping to fund the effort. When the next Tolkien or George R.R. Martin shows up, you can tell yourself, I helped them do that. Your support can be just $1 a month to the cause. Higher levels of support 
get you increasingly cool things, such as PDF transcripts of this podcast, free MP3s, including unreleased music, free ebooks and short stories, bookmarks, and even signed copies of books and CDs of my music. Many of these are unavailable to the public. Just go to artofworldbuilding.com slash patron. You can also just go to the homepage and click the big icon for this. Please note that patron is spelled a little bit weird. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Support great world building today. Let's resume talking about reputation and the gods and how they interact with each other and the world. The gods may have rules about this. Maybe they've reached an agreement that they are not to interfere in the lives of people. Why would they do this? Well, from our standpoint, if the gods can keep intervening, then it is too easy for them to just fix the problem that our characters are having. This is considered to be too convenient and generally is bad storytelling form. The people should be able to solve a problem by themselves, maybe with a little bit of help from the gods, such as in healing, but not where the gods simply swoop in and solve everything for everybody. Such a scenario is considered very unsatisfying for the audience. It's also a little too convenient for an author or storyteller to get themselves out of a jam because they didn't plan their story. While the gods may have a rule about not interfering with everyone, not all of the gods are going to agree with this, or they might agree and decide not to follow through with that. There will be times when they make exceptions. In general, we may decide that it is the evil gods who decide to intervene when they are not supposed to. After all, evil gods are not considered to be particularly law-abiding, even when the other gods are the ones who invented that law. Some of these gods might find it entertaining that they are doing things behind the backs of the other gods, or they may be doing something for a more specific purpose, such as helping their followers defeat someone who is an enemy of another god. These gods may engage in a kind of proxy war. This means that they may help some of their followers overthrow the followers of another god whom they do not get along with. This might be done for no other reason than simply to entertain themselves. On the other hand, if a god draws power based on the number of worshippers they have, then it might be in their best interest to make a show of strength so that they can gain more worshippers and therefore more power, and by extension, they may defeat and lower the power of another god. A related question is whether the gods punish any one of their own who break their laws. If there is no punishment, then these laws really have no binding effect on anyone. The result might be that the gods are interfering much more than they have agreed to not do. This certainly implies that there should be some sort of punishment. The question then becomes, how do the gods punish one of their own? An obvious solution is that the god loses the ability to influence their followers. What if a god is punished and none of the priests who call on that god to heal people can reach the god? That means anyone they are trying to heal will not be healed. Furthermore, the influence of that god might be severely restricted. This might result in lost followers. For example, if priests are calling on someone to heal an individual and the god does not answer because they can't because they've been punished, then this might cause a loss of faith. Presumably, a god would want to avoid such an outcome. This is a pretty good punishment to enact upon them for disobeying the rules that the gods have set for themselves. Do the gods end up on trial? Do they get physically imprisoned somewhere? If so, where might that be? This is an interesting option because their followers might try to free the god. 
Maybe the god is put to sleep. If so, the question then arises, how does one wake that god? Is there a special magic item or technology that will do so? This seems like a ripe story idea. We can have some characters who are upset that their god was punished for doing something that they may have caused, such as calling on that god to do something, and the god answered, and now the god has been punished. Do they feel a responsibility to undo this and rescue the god? What if the god is very happy with them for having done so? Maybe they dream of a reward of some kind. Or maybe they just want their god back and life to return to normal. This sounds like a story idea waiting to happen. This is one way that we can invent deities and rules that produce stories. Isn't that better than simply announcing something in exposition? It's always better to tell a story that reveals an aspect of our world than to simply tell the audience. So let's talk about how to subscribe to this podcast. A podcast is a free downloadable audio show that enables you to learn while you're on the go. To subscribe to my podcast for free, you'll need an app to listen to the show from. For iPhone, iPad, and iPad listeners, grab your phone or device and go to the iTunes store and search for The Art of World Building. This will help you to download the free podcast app, which is produced by Apple, and then subscribe to the show from within that app. Every time I produce a new episode, you'll get it downloaded right onto your iDevice. For Android listeners, you can download the Stitcher Radio app, which is free, and search for The Art of World Building. This only needs to be done once, and at that point, you will never miss an episode. While we're on the subject of punishment, what do the gods do to their species when those species have misbehaved? Death is an obvious answer, albeit not a particularly interesting one. After all, once the character is dead, that's the end. Keeping them alive offers opportunities for additional suffering and the possibility that they can be rescued by others. A nasty afterlife is another way to go. Volume 3, Cultures and Beyond, will discuss creating an afterlife in more detail. But an afterlife is a great place to put this person so that they can be rescued. Or they can just suffer there for eternity. We can also think of more interesting ways of punishing someone, such as removing magical talent from a wizard. We might also decide that someone in a technological setting is no longer able to manipulate that technology. This makes a little bit more sense if that technology is biologically based, such as using a fingerprint scanner or an eye scanner, or any sort of biological mechanism that allows them to operate machinery. Then there's the question of how long this punishment lasts. Something permanent is obviously worse, but if the person is allowed to wander the world or the universe freely with this restriction, then this is going to put them into situations that might be uncomfortable for them. They might have always relied on this supernatural power or a technological skill and no longer have this. Imagine the sorts of problems that will result when they go to use this ability and belatedly realize they don't have it anymore. They will already know this, but in the heat of the moment, they might just forget that they can't do what they normally do. Then there's the question of why someone ends up being punished by the gods in the first place. What sorts of crimes must one commit to get the attention of a god? Destroying one of their temples seems like an obvious choice. This is a better choice than simply taking the name of that god in vain, because so many people are going to swear with a god's name that the gods would be awfully busy punishing everyone who did this. 
The more serious the crime, the more likely this will attract divine punishment. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review the show at artofwillbuilding.com slash review. Reviews really are critical to encouraging more people to listen to a show they haven't heard of before. And it can also help the show rank better, allowing more people to discover it. Again, that URL is artofwillbuilding.com slash review. Another good subject when inventing gods is to decide on what they have created. The first choice is, of course, that they have created the world and all of its inhabitants. This is a good choice, and we can decide that different groups of gods created different species or races. This makes it easier for us to distinguish between those species. After all, not all of them will be worshipping the same gods. We can also decide that each god has created various items that they typically have in their possession. The great thing about these items is that they can fall into the wrong hands. If an item has a supernatural power, and then the species get a hold of this item, then they might be able to do things that no mortal should be able to do. The worst case example would be an item that has the ability to create life. Now we have a species, or a member of that species, who has control of this, and is doing this without approval or authorization, and then the next thing you know, they might have created a monster, for example. There are less significant things that we can do that also provide opportunities for fun. Maybe the god of greed has a goblet that allows him to drink without ever getting drunk, and the next thing you know, someone on the planet has this. A goddess of love might have an item that allows people to fall in love with her, and once someone has this on the planet, that person suddenly is able to have one sexual conquest after another. This sounds like something that could cause a lot of problems and also be a fairly entertaining story. This is especially true when that object is suddenly returned to that god, and next thing you know, that person has seduced all sorts of people who are now very upset with them. With some imagination and some humor, we can create some very interesting scenarios. I recommend looking at each of the gods that you create once you've decided on their personal characteristics, and then making up a list of magic items that they have in their possession. These items should have something to do with the attributes of this god and the matters that concern them. Typically, each of these items will be associated with that god. They can also become the symbol for that god. This brings up another point that when we are inventing our deities, we sometimes need to work on different aspects of them before we come up with something for another area of that god. So we might not be able to think of a symbol until we invent some of the items that this god has invented. This underscores another point that it can take a lot of time to develop a deity that is well-rounded, so don't worry too much about it if you don't have something to decide on. If you join the Art of World Building newsletter, you can download a template for how to create a god, and it is basically a fill-in-the-blanks form. Now, when looking at something like this, we may not be able to decide what we want to do, but that's okay, we can always come back later and add more detail or fill out something that we haven't had an idea on. We're going to conclude our discussion of how to create gods by talking about where to start. One approach is to start with a list of attributes for which we might want gods. Examples would include love or war. Once this is decided, we can also start grouping attributes. For example, the goddess of love might also be the goddess of birth or passion. A god of war might also be the god of cunning. The reason to add these additional attributes is that we can start fleshing out what this god is really concerned about. 
a single attribute like war is not really indicative. For example, some people think that war is evil, but other people think that it is a necessary means to an end. As a result, some might think it's bad, while others might think it's okay. If you were to tell a soldier that war is evil, they probably wouldn't appreciate that very much. After all, many of them think that they are doing a noble job protecting the country that they love, and this is certainly true. The point here is that a single attribute like war can be considered evil or good. As a result, we might want to consider fleshing out the idea of what this God concerns himself with by adding additional attributes that are an extension of this prime trait. A similar example is that of birth. The God of innocence might be the God of birth because children are born innocent. But on the other hand, the goddess of passion might be considered the god of birth because, in theory, passionate love is what leads to childbirth. What we're talking about here is that any particular attribute can be seen as either good or evil. Okay, well, maybe not all of them, but many of them can be assigned to one or more gods. What we might want to do is choose a list of primary attributes and invent gods for these, and then as we think of related attributes, we start assigning them to the gods as we choose. If I were to create a god of passion, I might think of a set of related attributes that is very different from the set of related attributes that you think of, and this is perfectly okay. By doing this, we end up getting a better sense of what this god's personality really is. And the better we sense this, the better we can portray this. This will also give us a better understanding of the mindset of the characters who worship this god or who are opposed to that god. This also sets up some interesting scenarios. For example, someone might be opposed to war but appreciate bravery. If the god of courage is also the god of war, then this might cause a bit of conflict for them. They may respect aspects of that god but not other aspects. Therefore, they may not actually worship that god. Or if they do, they only do so when it seems appropriate to them. This sort of detail can add richness to the world that we are creating and make it seem like a real place with more diverse characters and deities. Another way to begin creating gods is to start with analogs from Earth. In episode 2 of this podcast, I talked at length about how to create analogs. In this case, we might want to choose a god from Earth that we enjoy and then base another god of our own invention on that deity. However, we must be careful with this. If we choose to use Zeus, well, then we probably don't want to create a similar god who also lives on a mountain and throws lightning bolts. Everyone's going to immediately recognize this analog. I talked about this rule of three in episode two, the idea being that we should create at least three major differences between our version of something, and the Earth analog that we based it on. It can be difficult to create even one god, not to mention a pantheon, so using Earth analogs is a good way to start. We can find gods that we like and enjoy the idea of, and use them as a source of inspiration. By mixing and matching ideas from different gods, we can create something new. This convenient shortcut can speed up the process of inventing gods and get us going. That's all for today's show. Please remember to rate and review in iTunes. We're going to close out with another song of mine from the album, Now Weaponized. This one is Crunch Time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>